The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. I want to express to you what an amazing privilege it is to stand in somebody else's pulpit. Pastor Chris opening up the pulpit and allowing me to speak today is an incredible privilege and I don't take it lightly. I just want to go ahead and just give him, I don't think he's in the room, but go ahead and give him a hand clap for the incredible work that they do. So I'm Dakota Kelly. If I haven't met you, I hope I get to meet you. But me and my wife moved to Kentucky about six or seven months ago, and we started attending Real Life Church, and we are now members here. So if you haven't met Becca, Becca, will you stand up? This is my beautiful wife up front. And in the back, my parents came in town for Thanksgiving. And will you all wave in the back? Those two people I am honored and blessed to have as my parents. It's incredible. I definitely would not be here today, the man I am, without their influence and experience. And I try every time I'm in the pulpit to honor them. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Daniel, the third chapter. We're going to walk verse by verse all the way through Daniel. But before we get there, I just, I think that I want to, I just want to begin by, so we live in a crazy time. We really do. We, we live in a time where people call right, wrong, and wrong, right. We got upside down things happening all over the place. And I think what has happened is there's been a breakdown in convictions in this world. There's been a breakdown in people having God-given, Holy Spirit-filled convictions and standing for them in love. So today we're going to talk about faith under fire. Before we get started, Find what a conviction is. I, and I want to begin by saying that conviction, you having a conviction is not an opinion. It, it, it is not your pet doctrine. It's not a minor thing. When I'm talking about convictions, when I say that word, what I mean is I mean it's a major doctrine. It's Christ. It's him buried. It's him crucified. It's him risen. That's what a major conviction is. And those are things that we need to be willing to stand up for and be willing to die for if that comes to pass. But there are things that they're not so much minor things. We get so worried about the minor doctrines in church, but I'm talking about major convictions when I'm talking about this here. And having convictions is going to make you a little bit different. It's going to make you stand out from the crowd a little bit. And the Bible says in John, the 15th chapter, verse 18, I didn't forget. We're going to Daniel, I promise. But John 15, 18 says this, if the world hates you, Remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. The Bible clearly tells us that our beliefs and convictions are going to run contrary to popular opinion. We're going to stand out. It is at some point in American culture, it became status quo to check the box and call yourself Christian. And it's led to a breakdown of convictions within the body of Christ. But I believe the real life church can be a group of real followers of Jesus that stand up for what they believe with grace and truth in love. Before we get into this message, I want to show you this video clip. Will you play it for me? I think Adam's up there. Appreciate you coming this morning. Coffee will be ready in a couple of minutes. Oh, sounds good. Mm -hmm. 
Now I ran a sales report from the area, wrote down a suggested asking price for the house. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think? Now, what did you say your husband did for a living? Um, well, we actually haven't talked about that, but he's a sales rep for Brightwell Pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And uh, where did you say you attended church? Well, we occasionally attend Riverdale Community. Mm -hmm. So you would say you know the Lord? Yes, I would say I know the Lord. You think the Lord is okay with this asking price? And you have children? Miss Clara, my husband Tony and I have been married for 16 years. We have one daughter, her name is Danielle, and she's 10. She enjoys pop music and ice cream and jumping rope. Oh, well that, that's good to know. Now, you say you attend church occasionally. Is that because your pastor only preaches occasionally? Miss Clara, I really would like to help you sell your house. That's why I'm here. As far as my faith is concerned, I believe in God, just like most people. He's very important to me. Mm -hmm. Well, let me get our coffee. So if I asked you what your prayer life was like, would you say that it was hot or cold? I don't know that I would say it's hot. I mean, we're like most people. We have full schedules. We work. But I, I would consider myself a spiritual person. I'm not hot, but I'm not cold either. Just, you know, somewhere in the middle. Here you go. I've got cream or sugar if you need oh, it. Oh, no, thank you. I like it black. Miss Clara, you like your coffee room temperature? No, baby, mine's hot. The Bible tells us in Revelation, the third chapter, verse 15. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I believe what the battle that's happening within the church is it's trying to stop believers from getting to that 212 degrees. Because at 212 degree temperature, water begins to boil. And when water begins to boil, the steam that it releases has power to move a train. But what happens is we allow little compromises to get in and bring that temperature from 212 to 211. And then we just have warm water. When we talk about these convictions, it's standing up and being real followers of Jesus and allowing our water to burn at 212 degrees. We live in a time when your faith may come under fire. I used to tell the students in our, me and Becca's youth ministry that you need to have a standard operating procedure, an SOP. You need to have a standard operating procedure because there's going to be tests that come your way and you need to be ready to respond when the tests come. You need to know how you're going to respond when tests come your way. Have a standard operating procedure. My mentor used to say you're either in a storm, about to go into the storm, or coming out of a storm. It's going to hit us all at some point. But the main point of this message is to reveal to you in the scriptures that true Christian faith is not placing any contingencies on God. With that, let's go to Daniel, the third chapter. The book of Daniel was written by, guess who? Daniel. 
And when we look at what's happening in Daniel's life is he has been living in Judea, but they have been taken into Babylonian captivity. They've been taken into captivity, and it was at a point of a spear. Like, they didn't have an option whether they were going into captivity or not. And Daniel writes his book, and he breaks it down into two different halves. The first half is narrative. So he's telling you about the events that happened in his life. And then the second part is revelatory. It's prophecy, and it goes into a lot of things that's going to either happen in the future, different debates about when it's going to happen. We're not getting into that here. But... um, the book of Daniel is split into two parts, and, and in this we see that Daniel starts out and he starts he begins in the first chapter by talking about them being taken into Babylonian captivity. And then as soon as they get taken into Babylonian captivity, they're given a choice in chapter 1. They can compromise and eat food that's been sacrificed to other gods, or they can stand their ground. So he passes the first test. They don't eat food. Sacrifice to other gods. And then in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a statue. And nobody can interpret the dream, but then they call on Daniel, and Daniel's able to interpret the dream. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, and that gets Daniel and his companions promoted. And that's where we're at in this verse, first verse. So here's what it says. We start off by the king making a decree. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and uh, and its breadth 6 cubits. That means it's about 90 feet by 9 feet. Like this is a big statue. It's actually interesting. Scholars think that he was trying to make this statue as a representation of his dream. But when you look at the dream, only the head of the image is gold. And that represents Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But I believe here he was kind of denying the sovereignty of God. He was saying, not only will my kingdom just be the head, going to be the entire body. That's free, not in the notes. But um, Nebuchadnezzar says, it says, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. An idol had been set up. And we have to be careful because we, don't, because we don't see 90 foot by 6 foot images being set up that we don't think images are all around us. But at this point in our lives, there are images all around us that demand our worship. And we have to be careful. We have to guard our heart, our heart from that. So he goes on and it says, And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, all peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This decree was a decree that was to be obeyed. It was not an opinion. It was not if you feel like it. It was you will worship this image, you will worship Nebuchadnezzar, or you will die. The line was drawn in the sand. 
I have to imagine that these boys had made their mind up before they showed up at the dedication. They had already, you know, this thing just didn't pop up overnight. It took some time to build this golden image standing that tall by that wide. And I believe those boys got together and they said, what are you going to do? Because I'm not compromising. I'm not backing away. And they showed up to this thing with their hearts made up. So, and then he go, it goes on, and it's interesting to, to me that it says, it doesn't say that to only worship this image. To only, you can only worship this statue. But it says, add this statue, the worship of this statue, to your spiritual life. These Jewish boys would have had a problem with that because the first commandment says we can have no other gods before him. And we also have a problem with it in Christianity because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's called the exclusivity of the gospel. It says there's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus. So they had a problem on their hands. Here's what Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 24 says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my disciple, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? Taking up our cross daily is denying my will, my self-will, and saying yes to God's will. I believe that in, this, in these boys' flesh, they wanted to bow because everything would just be easier. It would just go along to go along. But within them, they knew to compromise would be to compromise their relationship with God. We have to be aware and conscious. We have to be awake, our eyes open, our ears open, to the little areas that say, well, just compromise and go along with the status quo. Just this one time. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who stood up to Hitler during the Second World War, said, if anyone wants to come to Christ, Christ answers them, come and die. There is a necessary death that has to take place. We don't like talking about that all the time. We like running to the power of the resurrection, but without the death and burial, there is no resurrection. It's a necessary process. While this decree was made for all people, it really isolate, only isolated the Hebrew people. Because everybody else was already polytheistic in that area. Adding another god was not that big of a deal. But it targeted the Hebrews because they were monotheistic. And they said, and we, we serve a jealous God. And they were, they were denying that fact to Yahweh. And then we go on and these Hebrew boys made a decision in verse 8. And here's what it says. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden emerald golden image and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning furnace 
What had happened here is these boys had been promoted. Daniel had, had interpreted the vision in chapter 2, or the dream in chapter 2, and these Jewish boys had been, had been promoted. And what happens when people get promoted? Other people get jealous. And they said they saw them stand, and they saw them not bow, and they went to the king to tell on them. It's interesting. How many people have ever been like crab pot fishing or going to catch crabs in the ocean? If you go out and you, and you get one, you have to put the lid on top of the bucket because that one crab will crawl out of the bucket. But if you catch two, you can take the lid bucket off because the other one will grab the one that's about to escape and pull it down. It's unfortunate, but in the modern American church, we're kind of like those crabs sometimes. And anytime somebody's making an advance, we pull them down. We have to be careful about that. I believe real life church can be a place where we lock arms together and walk forward and say, when you stumble, I'm going to help you back up. We're going to move forward together, and we're going forward. And I believe that's what God is desiring in a church. Then verse 12 says this, there are certain Jews... I don't know about you, but I want to be in the company of those certain Jews. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. These boys, these boys here were committed not to compromise. They were committed not to compromise. Point number three, they were determined in their decision, even if it meant death. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Here's their second chance. This is their out right here. Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image I have made. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's, it's straight up right here. This is their one shot out, and if they don't bow now, I almost fell. That would have been funny. But... Um, if they don't bow now, they're in trouble. They're going in the fiery furnace. An African pastor was confronted by rebels who demanded that he renounce his faith. He refused. The night before he was killed, he wrote this. I'm going to read it to you. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame vision, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I do not need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by His presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by love. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till He stops. And when He comes to get His own, He'll have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. 
Becca and I believe in, in supporting missionaries. We believe in whenever, I believe that you're either called to go or you're called to send. There's no not called to do anything. I believe you're either called to go or you're called to send. But this one missionary couple that we support serves in China. And when we get updates, we get monthly updates from them. And at the top of the email that they send us, they say, please do not share this information for our lives may be in danger. Thank God we live in America where we are not at that place, but the day might come. And we have to be ready for if it does. I think many times when we read the Bible, we read in Daniel, the third chapter, and we're like, oh, isn't that so nice? Those boys, they stood up. And we know what's going to happen because we've read it. We know the meta narrative of Scripture. We know that God's going to save them. Spoiler alert if you don't know that. But we know that God's going to step in. But what if it was you? What if all of a sudden police came through those doors and drug us to the White House? And the president stood before us and said, this is your opportunity to renounce your faith. If not, there's the firing squad. It separate the wheat from the tares real quick. We have to be ready for when that happens. Yes, we're blessed, but we have to be ready. After making a decision, it was time to make a declaration. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm on verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. It's, it's incredible to me that they don't call him king there. I feel like that's just a slap in the face. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. They draw back and say, well, we're already in trouble. We might as well let him have it. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue. You have set up. What you really believe comes out of you when you're under pressure. It's great to worship God. It's, it's great to be here when everything's going great and those are wonderful times. But what happens to your faith when everything's shaking around you? What these boys are doing is they're not bargaining with God. And at some point in the history of our church, we've got to a place where we're saying, God, I'll do this if you do this. That's a dangerous place to be. If you only take one thing away from this message, I want you to take this. True faith in Jesus does not set contingencies upon him. We know that God's a miracle worker. He's a prayer answer. But our declaration to him should be, God, we know you can do this, but even if you don't, my faith in you is not shaken. I trust in you. That's what real faith looks like. We're not going to the bargaining table with a sovereign, omniscient, all-powerful God. We have no place to sit there. But we go to him and we say, God, we know you're good. And we know you're able. But even if, I will still serve you. That's what these boys were saying here. That's what these Jewish boys were saying. I know that if we go into that furnace, God is fully capable of delivering us out of this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, know that we still serve him. Oh God, if the church would get a hold of that, it would shake a nation. They were detained. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed. My dad was the disciplinarian in our household. Hope I don't embarrass him. He's in the house. But every once in a while, me, mostly my little brother, but me, would uh, make him so aggravated that his face would change. You all know what I mean here. After his face changed, my rear end was sore every once in a while, but that's a whole different story. But um, (laughs) then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is not good for those boys. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated. I told Pastor Chris this before the message, uh, before the message. it's not in my notes, but this furnace, scholars believe that the furnace was used to smelt the gold informant for the statue. That's interesting. That's like a free point. I, I never knew that. But he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. It just got real. Like this, this story could take a drastic bad turn right here and say they caught on fire and it was horrible, but God, it doesn't happen that way. But because of God, it doesn't happen that way. At this point, these, could you imagine falling into the flame, just waiting for the pain to hit you? I mean, like, we just stepped in. In the Bible, the fire always does two things. It either it purifies and clarifies. It burns away the impurities and refines. I think sometimes we're afraid of the trials and the troubles and the tests. But we need not be because it's within those that our faith is perfected. Our God is sovereign and we place our trust in Him. And even if He doesn't move this mountain, He's still good. Then they were delivered. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And their appearance of the fourth is like the sons of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had 
had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any gods except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's incredible to, it's incredible to me that in modern capitalistic America believe that we need to do so many things to draw people in the door. This marketing campaign, this advertising campaign, and we have a pastor's heart that is saying we're going to just preach the word and we're going to let the word draw people. But right here, what's drawing Nebuchadnezzar, his heart to the Most High God is these boys' unwavering faith in the midst of these enormous trials and these tests and going into the furnace. That's what I believe the world's crying out for, for a people that says, I'm not placing anything on God, or any contingencies, any requirements but I'm coming to him full and open-heartedly. And I believe that he is able to deliver me. And right here, he did. They were bound by the enemy, but the only thing that was destroyed in the fire was the thing that had bound them. It's incredible that many times if, if Satan tries to put stumbling blocks in your way, God will use those very stumbling blocks to promote you, to, to strengthen you, to encourage you, and to draw you closer to him. It's incredible here. I believe that when those boys came out of the fire, they had more confidence in God at that moment than they ever had in their lives. God takes the enemy's weapons and will use them to accomplish his will. In James it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. And this Christian walk in the walk that we are taking with our Savior, it's not a question of if you're going to be tested. It's a question of when. I preached a similar message to this before we left our um, church in West Virginia. And I preached this message and I was going back and listening and correcting it and getting it ready for today. And before that, my one of the closest mentors I had ever had was alive and well. And I... When I was listening to it, I was like, man, I was preaching to myself because I was saying, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. Things are going to come your way. You have to be ready. Not many months from that, he would pass away. It was one of the hardest deaths I've ever dealt with in my life. And it was hard. And we go through hard things. But through it all, God is faithful. He was right there all along way with me and my wife and he has strengthened our faith through it his name is was Mark Easton and is an incredible incredible guy but like I said it's not if you're going to be tested it's when and my God doesn't give up on you so if you fail the test you're going to be tested again I believe that God is pleased with every single step we take. I likewise believe 
that he is never satisfied. What I mean by that is when you take one with him, you take one step in your journey with him, that he dances around you, that he celebrates you, but then he says one more. And then you take that step and he says, yes, one more. And our walk with him goes at that pace from when we're walking to running with him. And if we fall, he's right next to us to pick us back up and start walking again. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.